I'm David Bank, and from Impact Alpha, this is an Agents of Impact podcast. Right now, we have more money chasing not enough projects, right? To build more projects, you need more development capital, right? That development capital is not as plentiful as the infrastructure capital. That's Jigger Shah, president of Generate, a San Francisco investment firm at the forefront of sustainable infrastructure financing. Jigger was co-founder of Sun Edison, a pioneer of the no money down solar financing model that unlocked the solar market. He co-hosts the Energy Gang podcast. Let's jump right into our conversation. Welcome, Jigger. Oh, thanks for having me. It's terrific to connect again. Um, I kind of want to just put it to you, which is, you know, where were we? What's new? And where could we go in, in, in now in 2021 with this clean energy, you know, green infrastructure build out? Well, I think, as you know, um, what we're doing is inevitable, right? I mean, we've got these extraordinary technologies that are better, that are cheaper, that have lower carbon footprints, uh, that are in, in short are more sustainable and save money, right? Sustainability wins. And so so the long arc there has been un, uninterrupted, right? I mean, the last four years, we've seen tremendous growth in all of our areas. But we've seen all that growth with a lot of headwinds because we've had a lot of political leaders who've you know, said, well, do we need to go fast? Do we want to go fast? Um, do we really want to pursue these solutions? And I think going into 2021, you know, we feel confident that no, not only is the technology getting cheaper and better and easier to finance and deploy, but you also have a lot of tailwinds from political leadership saying, and it's the right thing to do, and it's the right time to do it. And so, you know, what's your sort of level of optimism that there is that tipping point, that inflection point, that proverbial kind of, you know, um, exponential growth in in both financing and also, you know, de literal deployment, whether it's gigawatts or what have you, um, that this is actually that moment that everybody's, you know, sort of been hungering for? Well, tipping points are hard to... Um track, you know, like it's one of those things where for us, we're really talking about, you know, millions when you're talking about venture capital and, um, you know, startups. And then you're talking about billions when you're talking about real full fledged businesses, which is where we are for most of the technologies that we cover. And then you get to trillions. Right. And so, you know, the inflection point on trillions is that the International Energy Agency last year basically said that 90 percent of all the things that we added to the grid last year was clean. That seems like a tipping point to me. And so, you know, I think, I think what did uh, Fatih Burrell say? You think he said um, uh, like that renewable energy was COVID-19 immune or whatever. It was immune to COVID-19, right? And so, uh, you know, I think, I think there's lots of tipping points all around, right? Uh, Norway, you know, had 50% of all new car sales being electric last year. I think, uh, the state of Massachusetts and California have now said that they're going to ban uh, new car sales that are not uh, electric vehicles, uh, you know, after 2035. And so I think you're starting to see uh, politicians believe that this is the future, that the future is now, and that they need to start sending signals to the broader marketplace that you should make your investments accordingly so that you're not surprised when your gas station becomes less valuable in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned politicians. So what are the things that 
become possible with a new administration, a new Congress? What what are the what are those signals? How would that be sort of communicated to the to the marketplace? What's you know kind of your you know immediate wish list, I guess, as it were. Well, I mean, with the Senate races um, this week, I mean, we had uh, two more Democratic senators. So now, uh, you know, come January 20th, we'll be talking about, uh, you know, majority leader Chuck Schumer. Um, When you have a 50-50 split, uh, we went through this, if you remember, in 2001, I think, with Tom Daschle. And so uh, there is a set of rules uh, that you have to follow. Around that, because all the committee chairs or all the committees are 50-50 Democrat Republican, and you know, so there's a set of rules they have to go through. In general, I'd say that the same overall trends apply, right? Which is that getting a price on carbon is hard, right? The United States of America doesn't like putting on prices of car on carbon, right? We can do it through the climate initiative, the transportation climate initiative, Reggie, we can do it through state of California, but to get the federal government to pass cap and trade or to put a price on carbon is going to be tough. What they like to do instead is to put a lot of money into programs. And boy, did they authorize a lot of programs in 2020 in the Energy Policy Act there in 2020. So um, so now they can put more money into programs. For, for instance, I think you'll see a large amount of money going into weatherization. Right of buildings because we already know how to do that. I think you'll see a large amount of money go into the loan guarantee program, right? You'll see a large amount of money going into uh, figuring out how to uh, get more government procurement of green technologies, right? So, for instance, the government could change over its entire motor pool to electric vehicles. The government could buy toilet paper that has a lower carbon footprint, right? And thereby send shockwaves through supply chains for toilet paper, and then everyone will be buying low-carbon toilet paper. It's it's one of those things where today, the solutions that we're talking about are more cost-effective than they were 12 years ago. And Putting more money out the door is something that both Republicans and Democrats agree on when it comes to infrastructure. You know, they both believe that our infrastructure is old and that our infrastructure needs to be improved. And so I think you get a lot of bipartisan support for figuring out how we actually put money out the door within existing programs that are already at Department of Transportation and U.S. Department of Agriculture and all these other places um, to get more things deployed. You always have made the case, which makes perfect sense, that and you made it at the beginning of this, you know, better, cheaper, um, so, sometimes with a payoff over num- some number of years, but that's not different than, you know, any new investment. And so what are the things that have come down that cost curve that maybe not be as obvious as maybe solar panels that are now sort of better, cheaper, and, and should be just financed? And then my second question is, you know, is the financing, what are the obstacles to getting that financing at, at scale? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question, right? So this year, 2021, is roughly the 10-year anniversary of the SunShot program within the Department of Energy, if you remember that program, right? And I would say they've largely met all of their goals, right? Solar power is roughly, you know, 80%, 90% cheaper than it was 10 years ago. And, um, and you know, wind power is, is about one third the cost of what it was 10 years ago. Um, Battery storage is clearly 90 plus percent cheaper than it was 10 years ago. And so those three technologies are clearly on their way. I think we all agree with that. I think electric vehicles with Tesla's gargantuan um, market cap, and I think as of today, he's now worth more than Jeff Bezos. Um, So I think that electric vehicles 
are actually at that tipping point too. It's just not characterized the same way. People are used to thinking about electric vehicles or vehicles themselves as upfront cost, right? This one cost me 25,000 bucks. This one cost me 40,000 bucks. But there are a lot of fleets, uh, whether it's transit buses or you know passenger fleets, who who do their calculations on a cost per mile basis. And all of them have determined now that electric vehicles are cheaper on a cost per mile basis, as long as you're putting a certain number of miles on the vehicle, right? And you saw Nextera purchase uh, EIQ Mobility um, along that lines, who is one of the leading evaluators of, um, of those fleets and the economics, right? So I think that's gonna take off. I mean, the other area that's gonna take off is re regenerative farming. Right, it is actually much more profitable for farmers to farm differently to increase the amount of carbon in their soil and you know improve water retention, reduce the amount of fertilizer they have to use, et cetera, to the point that Monsanto Bear is actually now rolling out regenerative farming to all of their farmers. Right. And so I think what you will see is a huge push on regenerative farming and different farming practices that result in much lower carbon footprints. Um, and then the last area I would say, which is you know remarkably boring, but is around buildings, right? Whether it's the HFC's legislation, which was groundbreaking, right? I mean, the number Hydrofluorocarbons. One, yeah, I mean, and that is, I think, the number one thing, according to Project Drawdown, that we can do to reduce carbon emissions globally. Um, but just HVAC, right, heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, LED lighting, I think you will see a huge wave of energy efficiency retrofits across this country, uh, whether it's through the weatherization program that will get funded, but, but also just through just private sector folks saying this is the time to do it. So I think from that perspective, you have a number of industries that are ready for prime time. I mean, the last one that we didn't mention, of course, is, you know, one that we're really big in, which is food waste. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, several states that have banned food waste from landfills now, and I think over 20 that have food waste diversion programs. And putting those into digesters, creating renewable natural gas is something that I think you will see, you know, expands uh, tremendously this year and next year. But so you guys generated, as I recall, raised something like a billion dollars in financing to be able to put against these kind of projects last year. And you look for these exact kind of areas where there's some mismatch between what the capital markets kind of understand today and where you know they're going. And the question I have is why does the capital, well, put it the other way, are all those sectors that you just named getting the level of investment from the private capital markets that the economics and the numbers would suggest they can absorb. I mean, is there a capital gap remaining despite all of the, the, the logic that you just laid out? Yeah, I think to me, it's, it's honestly more about what the Wall Street capital firms want to do, right? In general, they're sort of saying, look, over here, I've got a billion dollars of solar coming in every single month. I just securitize it. I've got people who want to buy it. The documents are the same. I'm rinse and repeating. I know how to do that, right? When when you bring me a billion dollars worth of green hydrogen projects or fuel cell projects or anaerobic digester projects or whatever, I mean, you know, I got a guy, he's got to do an extra 500 hours worth of work. I mean, I don't really care about him because he's 23 and he's basically working his ass off anyway and whatever. But at the end of the day, right, like you still have to like do the work, right? And so you can imagine they say, I don't know if I want to do that. It's only a $250 million portfolio. Bring it back to me when it's $500 million, right? So like 
we can t we can say that it's misunderstood and some of them are misunderstood right some of them somebody had some scare 10 years ago they didn't like the deal they're they've sworn off the whole asset class but for many of them it's basically saying look jigger can you guys just do our job for us can you warehouse all these assets for us and then bring them to us when they're packaged you know they're you know it, it starts out looking complex you guys you know, make it look simple and then you, you know, sell it off. Right. And, you know, we don't sell it off because we own these assets long term, but you get debt against them or whatever it is that you're doing. Right. And so those opportunities continue to come over and over and over and over again, because there's another sector that's ready to go, whether it's electric garbage trucks or green hydrogen, or now there's dredge trucks over at the port of LA, or there's, you know, there's always a frontier of technology that nobody wants to do the 25 million, 30 million, $50 million check. They want to wait till it's 500 million before they get involved. And so at some point though, as you say, you guys hammer out all the complexity, you give them a, a, a deal that got basically steady revenues, good returns, you know, technology risk has been worked out over time. The project risk is, you know, you've, you've, you've assessed that at some level, you've given them kind of institutional type assets that they kind of like They're, It's not, you know, venture yeah, of kind of venture technology risk. It's like, just crank it out. Right. Well, we never take any technology risk. So that's exactly right. Right. We, we, we only focus on the markets where the technology risk is taken care of. It's now sort of economies of scale risk and, you know, and, and paperwork risk and, you know, some of those kinds of things that have to get done. Um, uh, you know, market size risk where, you know, we could get stuck with only a $20 million portfolio because the other $200 million of the projects that were supposed to happen don't get done. Um, but no, you're exactly right that like that, that we make things simpler for everybody. Um, and that 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 is the point, right? The point is to bring everyone in and we're not demonizing folks. We're not making fun of folks. We're saying this piece of the value chain was missing. We're filling that piece of the value chain and we're bridging people to bankability. Well, and so as a result, I think I know you got in your own raise, you know, some major institutional investors. Um, I think as I read them, sort of the ones on the kind of front edge of, of, of this AP2 in Sweden and, and, and some of the Australians and, and whatnot, are you sensing that there's a bigger move of the big institutional investors, the big pension funds, sovereign wealth funds to get into green infrastructure, renewable infrastructure, and like we say, just crank out these massive build outs? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of ways to answer that, right? One is when I started Sun Edison in 2003, when you took all the funds that were raised that year, less than 2% of all the capital raised was for infrastructure funds, right? As of this year, that number is closer to 13% of all, inf all money raised and all funds are infrastructure funds, right? So clearly infrastructure is getting more of an allocation than they were getting in 2003. And so that's a good thing. Right. And so now we're talking about what are they investing that infrastructure money into? And I think it's clear that that, you know, as we've had the worst year on record in the United States for wildfires, hurricanes, all sorts of natural disasters, people are recognizing that climate change is not only real, it's here and now it's present and that we have to rise to the occasion to do something about it. And I think that's why you saw that um, that in 2020, all of the SPACs that you know went public 
the the climate change related ones, the electric vehicle ones, et cetera, outperformed all the rest of them because people see that as an enormous growth area in the future. So so it's not like, you know, I'm not it's not like I'm begging someone to do the right thing. Right. I'm I, I am showing them and we are showing them that this is actually where you're going to be able to place more dollars at work, which is what they all need to do. They're all sitting on lots of cash. You're going to be able to get predictable, dependable returns over time, which many of them need because you got an aging population and people need those returns, right? And you're actually investing into the future, right? You're investing in the technologies that by definition will be allowed to operate for 40, 50 years, right? Why would you invest in something that is likely to get regulated out of existence in 15 to 20 years? Right. That doesn't make any sense. And so, like, I mean, I wish I could say that we were smarter than everybody else, but I think we were just reading the same reports that everybody else was. But I think what we've done to generate is that we've developed a track record now and people say, well, guys, these these guys really know how to manage risk and know how to put the money to work with great discipline. And so is the corollary to that or the inverse of that, that the money is that a lot of the discussion, for example, of the Green New Deal was sort of what, how big was that ticket for government investment? It sounds like you're saying there's private capital is ready to roll and it may not need a huge amount of government cash as much as government, like you said, p policy signals and and sort of leadership um, that there's sort of a privately financed Green New Deal. Is that too much to say? Yeah, well, I mean, it certainly is um, it's something that we would all love to be able to say. I don't really believe that there's a private Green New Deal, right? Look, I think that the, the, the amount of money that we're talking about today is so large that the government is not going to be half the money, right? The government is going to be a small amount of the money. But the government's money is highly catalytic, right? When you think about where we need to get to, right now we have more money chasing not enough projects, right? To build more projects, you need more development capital, right? That development capital is not as plentiful as the infrastructure capital. So the government plays a big role in providing some of that development capital, right? Some of the early dollars, the walking around money to convince the mayor that they should really go, you know, full speed ahead on fully decarbonizing their town, right? A lot of that money does come from the federal government or from state governments, right? And so, and that leads to more projects to be done by infrastructure funds. So I think that there's a lot of ways that we can work together. And then when you talk about the word new, right, in the Green New Deal, the word new is really around this justice component that many of us have frankly spent a lot more time on in the last 12 months than maybe we have, or, you know, in the past. And that justice component is something that the government has a big role to play in. I think when you think about the boom of the 1950s, which we're, you know, probably on the verge of replicating here, you know, the 1950s ex deliberately excluded certain people from the boom, right? Redlining, all sorts of other things, right? It's important not to do that this time around. I mean, we definitely need 25 million new people to get to work to be able to decarbonize at the scale that we need to decarbonize, right? That's a lot of jobs. And those are a lot of like good paying jobs. And there are a lot of uh, careers, not, not just gig jobs for like two years. And 
but making sure that those people get training and making sure that all of that money is available for community colleges and certificate programs and all that stuff is something the government plays a big role in. And it, it is important because it gives companies like us the social license to continue to operate in the future, right? We have to show that we're helping all communities and we want to show that we're helping all communities and that everyone's succeeding. But there are certain things we can use private sector dollars for and certain things that we can actually make sure that we're leveraging government programs to bring in that justice component into what we do. And that would also create the constituency, as you said, for this to feel like a sort of popular renewal of, or, or popular re revival of, of communities, of jobs, of industries, uh, as well as uh, meeting the, you know, the climate and other goals. And, and then, as you say, saving money as well. So it sounds like a pretty good, um, if not a new deal, but at least a pretty good deal. Yeah. The one other thing I just want to make sure I mention is that I do think that one of the pieces of the story of Tesla that matters, which we're going to have to bring to the rest of sustainability is that they manufacture here in the United States. And I do think that we all need to be a lot more cognizant of the fact that it is not a free lunch to say, well, we can manufacture it in China and bring it over, or we can manufacture it here. I do think we all need to be a lot more thoughtful about what parts of the supply chain can be manufactured profitably here in the United States or in the country that it's being deployed, and what parts of it really have to be done overseas because they have a natural you know, like sort of availability of certain minerals or whatnot. And I think it's important for us to do that more thoughtfully, because I think sometimes people are of a knee jerk globalization um, reaction. And part of continuing to have that social license is being, you know, understanding around, you know, people's fears in that area. Well, just to take you on one more level on that, is there something about, say, an energy infrastructure or, a, or just infrastructure that is, you know, essentially kind of place-based and very, you know, meaty and, 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 and material, as it were, that lends itself to, you know, local domestic manufacturing? Is, 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 is all this infrastructure stuff, you know, more intrinsically domestic at some level, domestically? Made. Well, certainly most of it is, right? I mean, sheet, sheet metal bending and, you know, cement and steel and all that stuff is easier to make locally than it is to ship from overseas. But I'll give you an example of, you know, like solar inverters, right? Solar inverters are basically made by hand, right? You basically get a big cabinet and then you have to stick all these components in the cabinet. It really doesn't cost more to manufacture it here in the U.S. than to manufacture in China. But yet we import uh, a huge percentage of our solar inverters from China, right? That is something that we could solve, right? That just requires government planning, assistance, some thought processes there, and you could solve that problem. And I think it would go a long ways to building more local support for these technologies and the deployment of these technologies. Um, and so there are some areas where you can't, right? Solar panels, for whatever reason, you know, and we can go through them, but, you know, costs about a third more to make them here in the United States than to make them in China. And so it's hard to do that today in, uh, in the U.S. But there are a lot of other areas where you can bring that supply chain here to the United States. And I think we should all be more thoughtful about doing that. Sometimes hard to catch up with something that's already gotten away, but something that's still coming down the pike, you can plan a little better maybe. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Jigger. This is exactly what I wanted to hear from you. And um, uh, I look forward to tracking you uh, and, and generate all this year. So thanks for being with us. 
Well, it's shaping up to be a fantastic uh, year for decarbonization. And so from that, I'm, I'm very thankful. Here, here. Thank you. That's going to do it for this Agents of Impact podcast. You can read more about Jigger, Generate, and the low-carbon energy transition at impactalpha.com. Thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha, investment news for a sustainable edge.